0: This is episode 34 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, I talk about the forgotten protege of Houdini. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, the home for all things related to magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is Episode 34, or Day Three of Houdini Week 2019. Now, yesterday I made mention of the book, uh, the new book on Houdini called "The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini" by Joe Posnanski, which was newly released. Well, today I'd like to plug another book. This one is called "Life Is Magic." by John Dornbos. You may remember John uh, as the professional football player who appeared on America's Got Talent doing magic a few years ago. Well, he has a new book out and it's all about his life's journey and I think you're really going to enjoy it. The book actually doesn't officially come out until November. So I encourage you to go to Amazon.com and see if you can get a copy of Life is Magic by John Dorenbos. And while you're at it, if you haven't already done so, pick up a copy of The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini. And now to today's feature. We all know that Hardeen succeeded Houdini in the show and received all of his props when he died. But did you know that years before there was another person set up to take over for Houdini. It turns out there was a protege that Houdini not only handpicked but also trained and to whom he even supplied the equipment. His name was William Leonard Hicks, and he was born in Owenton, Kentucky on November 6, 1887. His father, Thomas Hicks, was in the hotel business and moved often when job opportunities came his way. When the boy was 12 years old, he and his family were living in Richmond, Virginia. In April of 1900, Houdini performed for a week at the Bijou Theater on East Broad Street in Richmond. Young Mr. Hicks was present during the week-long engagement. Houdini opened on April 23rd to a packed house. His act consisted of the challenge handcuff routine and the metamorphosis. During the first part of his act, police officers brought regulation handcuffs to secure Houdini. He stepped behind his ghost house, which was a small curtain cabinet that he would kneel into uh, while he did his escapes in private. Houdini arose from the cabinet free of the cuffs. A second demonstration of handcuff releases took place, but this time Houdini presented the escape in full view of the audience. To complete his set, he and Bess presented their signature routine called the Metamorphosis, which was a lightning-fast three-second exchange between he and Bess. Houdini would be tied and secured into a cloth sack. The sack would go into a trunk, and that was locked and roped. A curtain was pulled around the locked trunk and Bess would step into the curtained enclosure. She would count to three and on three Houdini would burst forth free from the trunk. When the trunk was opened, the sack was removed and inside the sack was found Bess Houdini with her hands tied. As many Houdini buffs know, when Houdini came to town, he didn't just do a show at the theater. He often continued with daily exhibitions. His second day in town He went to City Hall to give another demonstration of handcuff releases. This time, however, to prove he kept no concealed keys, he had his mouth covered with plaster and tied up with a cloth. He was also stripped of his clothes. Captain Angle and Chief Howard of the Richmond Police Department placed shackles on Houdini's wrists and his ankles. Houdini stepped behind a chair that had a piece of carpet thrown over it to uh, partially hide Houdini from view. The audience of some 40 people could see Houdini moving about. However, his uh, method was obscured from the prying eyes. Two minutes later, Houdini, the handcuffed king, was free from his bonds. One of his favorite impromptu bits uh, of magic that he would perform both on stage and off stage was his famous East Indian needle trick. Following his naked cuff escape, he presented the needle trick for all the invited guests and gathering crowd. A doctor was present in the audience, came up to examine Houdini's mouth before and after the effect. He left them completely bewildered, and he received a nice write-up in the Richmond Times Dispatch. There is a good chance that William Leonard Hicks, who would later be referred to as Leonard Hicks in Magic Circles, read about Houdini's exploits in Richmond, and we know that he saw Houdini perform live while he was in town. Houdini was such a big hit in Richmond that the management of the Bijou Theater arranged to have Houdini return in May of 1900. They had to buy out his contract at a New York theater just to get Houdini back in Richmond. He played a week and headlined a festival in Richmond. Now remember... Leonard Hicks was only 12 years old at the time, but he was not the only person inspired by Houdini. There was a Mr. Lee Reinheimer and a Mr. Moses May, who were two individuals also taken in by Houdini. So much so that by June of 1900, they declared that they could duplicate the feats of Houdini and for several months following did just that. They presented handcuff escapes as well as the metamorphosis. And it's probably lucky for them that Houdini didn't return to Richmond as he probably would have gone after them or had his crew attend a show and, well, introduce themselves. Six years from this time, Houdini is now in Chicago. He is performing in the Windy City, and he and Bess are having trouble with a hotel in which they are staying. So they decide to switch to a different hotel. Well, it just so happens that Leonard Hicks is working this hotel. And when Leonard Hicks first saw Houdini, he was living on a dairy farm with his family. But now, in 1906, he and his father were both working in the hotel business. Hicks was the hotel clerk that checked in Mr. and Mrs. Houdini, and to use modern-day slang, Mr. Hicks gave Houdini the hookup, meaning he got him a very nice room. Houdini showed his appreciation by inviting Hicks to see his show at the Majestic Theater. The two must have developed a friendship, which was partially based upon Leonard's ability to figure out the act and even make suggestions about it. Houdini was impressed with the young man, and by the end of his contract in Chicago, Houdini made a suggestion of his own to Leonard Hicks. He told him that he should try out a career in show business. In fact, Houdini offered to train him. And that very summer, Leonard Hicks was a temporary resident of 278, which was Houdini's home in New York City, where Houdini was teaching the young man the finer points of his escape act. He changed his performing name to Harry Leonard, and he was mainly known as the Great Leonard. According to the Kalush biography, Hicks even printed up business cards which declared he was the only one authorized to perform Mr. Houdini's act. John Cox of WildAboutHoudini.com discovered that on August 8, 1908, Variety reported Houdini has granted Leonard Hicks and T.W. Dinkins of the Western Burlesque Wheel exclusive rights to exhibit his act, including the milk can, for $10,000 per year. Leonard Hicks' career began in 1908 when Houdini left for Europe. In fact, his entire career seems to span from 1908 into 1909. He was touring with the famous Sam Devere Show, which was a mixture of music and comedy and burlesque that featured a huge cast of 40 people. The Great Leonard learned his show from Houdini, and in fact, his billing often read, The Famous Houdini Presents The Great Leonard. He presented handcuff escapes, the metamorphosis, and in effect he called the death-defying can mystery, which of course was the milk can escape. Like his mentor Houdini, Hicks also presented outdoor publicity drawing escapes. One of the most harrowing I've ever read took place in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It garnered a headline in the Star Tribune newspaper that read, Handcuffed Jumps into Icy Water. Indeed, despite snow flurries, the great Leonard, wearing a bathing suit and manacled with three pair of handcuffs, jumped into the icy water of the Mississippi River at noon on November 11, 1908. According to newspaper reports, he popped out of the water 20 seconds later, free from the cuffs. That was probably the longest 20 seconds of his life. The crowd of around 1,000 people cheered when he burst forth out of the water. A great article from the Pittsburgh Daily Post reveals a bit more about his performing material. His act includes handcuff escapes, the milk can, and even straitjacket escapes. So it really was the same material Houdini had done up until that point. The article mentions his connection to the hotel industry in Chicago and the fact that his father owned the Saratoga Hotel where young Leonard Hicks worked until going off to join the circus, or rather, going off to join Houdini. This article also proved an assumption I had, that Hicks first met Houdini when he lived in Richmond, Virginia, and Houdini had been performing there. So there was a previous relationship, although it might have been small. It was when Houdini performed in Chicago that the two became reacquainted, and Houdini eventually invited Hicks to be his protege. The second meeting was in 1906. Speaking of straitjackets, this story comes from MUM magazine, March 1957, apparently, Hicks had boasted about presenting a bridge jump in a straitjacket. But the day of the event, it was bitter cold and the river had frozen. So as to avoid the stunt, Hicks called the police station to warn them of an apparent suicide attempt. And the police uh, canceled the, uh, (laughs) the escape. On September 22nd, 1908, the great Leonard was in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, appearing at the Luzerne Theater. On September 21st, he went to the West Market Street Bridge, got himself handcuffed, and jumped off the bridge into the waters below. The local paper, the Wilkes-Barre News, said, The act is one of the best public stunts given in this city and was performed before the police could interfere. So kind of the exact opposite of that previous story. His first public show in the East took place at the Brooklyn Empire Theater in February of 1909. Same material as listed before, but with one interesting addition to the article. The paper reads, This is his first year on the stage, and he is making his trip around the Empire Circuit more as a lark than anything else, because lockpicking and freeing himself from seemingly impossible barriers is his hobby. That previous sentence really explains a lot. His stage career lasted from 1908 into 1909, but in September of 1910, there was a long article in the Natchez Democrat newspaper, which is all about Mr. Hicks purchasing the Grant Hotel in Chicago, and that his return to the hospitality industry ended his stage career. Now, we don't hear much about Hicks after he goes back into the hotel biz, though in 1919 he appears in the news as he was elected president of the Hotel Greeters Association. Then in 1925 he wins a Chicago District Golf Association trophy and again appears in the paper. Shortly after Houdini's death in 1926, Hicks again is in the paper, this time stating that only four people knew Houdini's secrets. Theo Hardine, James Collins... Jim Vickery, and the great Leonard himself. One of the last articles on Hicks that I could locate is from 1953 and appeared in the Vidette Messenger. Hicks was to be the headline speaker for the Rotary Club Ladies' Night, where he would talk about his time with Houdini 45 years earlier and also discuss his rise within the hotel business. For whatever reason, show business didn't keep its hold on Leonard Hicks, and before long people would forget about Houdini's protege. I have a feeling, though, that the reason Hicks was chosen was to keep Houdini's name in the papers while he was away in Europe. He likely knew that Leonard Hicks' true ambitions were in the hotel business, so that this was an opportunity to give the young man a memory to last a lifetime before he went into the hotel business. And as I said, it also kept the Houdini name in front of audiences while Houdini was in Europe. On the lighter side of things, there's a story that appeared in the Associated Press. Houdini was the best man at Hicks's wedding, and Hicks had gone down to get the uh, the marriage license for his wedding. And as Hicks tells the story, I'm waiting in line for my marriage license, and I have to stand nearly an hour while a very large woman stood at the window in front of me. Finally, I became angry and said, I will go over to Maryland to get my license. And then the clerk stopped and confessed that Houdini hired this woman to stand in front of him and block him the entire time. And in sort of a reversal, I discovered this story from the Linking Ring magazine, October 1973. It says, in 1908, Hicks was playing in New York, New Jersey when he uh, went to a place called Masker's, which was a men's outfitter, to buy a suit. Hicks was actually with Thurston at the time. The two had previously had lunch. Mr. Masker thought that Hicks was Houdini, and no one bothered to correct him. So Hicks ended up getting a really great suit from the man. Now fast forward to 1912. Houdini is in Newark and goes into Masker's to buy a suit. Houdini introduces himself and told the man he was look, you know what he was looking for. Masker had already met Houdini, or so he thought. And now he was highly suspicious of who this new person was, so he called the police. And when the policeman arrived, he immediately recognized Houdini and told Mr. Masker that this was the real Houdini. So I guess that uh, Leonard Hicks had his revenge. Hicks also served as the Chicago correspondent for the Conjurer's Monthly magazine. He was a member of the Chicago SAM Assembly and even hosted club meetings at his hotel. Later in life, he moved to Florida and was the owner of the Casa Marina Hotel in Key West, Florida. William Leonard Hicks died in Florida on April 2, 1966, the one-time protege of the world's greatest escape artist. He was survived by his wife Lillian and his son, Leonard Jr. And that is the story of Houdini's forgotten protege. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please remember to share, like, and follow. Any one of those is appreciated. All three is even better. Though if you follow me once, you don't need to do that again. By the way, you can also find me on Facebook by typing in The Magic Detective as one long word. Just type that in the search box and you'll find me there. Or on Instagram, which is instagram.com slash themagicdetective again is one word I will see you tomorrow for another episode of the Magic Detective Podcast during Houdini Week 2019 until then, have a great day